wanted to show you guys something this morning. It's not a cake mix. This is my Bible. This is, uh, this is my first Bible. Now, it's not the first Bible I owned. The first Bible I owned would have been given to me by the Gideons. And uh, I remember when I received that. The second Bible I owned was given to me by my mom. It was a very nice red King James with gold on the edges, and, and I used that for, a, for youth group and things like that. But this was the first Bible that I made my own. This is the first one that I had I devoured. I read every page of this Bible, and I read it until it started falling apart. And then I read it some more. And you know, that's okay. When a Bible falls apart, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Because I've, I heard a long time ago, and I've always said that, if, that a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who's not. And, uh, and so it's okay if you wear out a Bible or two. It's a little harder now that we use electronic ones. But, but go ahead, you, know, you can try to wear out your, uh, your electronic Bible. There's an inscription in the very front of the Bible that tells me, where it came from, who I received it from, and, and when I received it. And I don't know if you can read that from way back there. But it says, in Christ's love, Mary Mix-Up class, January 22nd, 1984. So 30 years ago this week, I received this Bible from the Mary Mix-Ups. Now for the uninitiated here, I'd like a show of hands. How many Merry Mix-Ups are here today? If you're a Merry Mix-Up, raise your hand. Look around. Those people are Merry Mix-Ups. There's something wrong with them. They are mixed up, and they're happy about it. The Merry Mix-Up is a, Merry Mix-Ups is a Sunday school class here that took it upon themselves, took the responsibility of making sure that new Christians, new believers in this church, had Bibles. And we do that because we believe that being a Christian, that, that being faithful is not just about getting baptized. It's not just about getting wet. It's not just about coming to church. It's not just about participating in, in the things that we do here, but that something transformational happens when people get into the Word of God. There is something special. There is something powerful when we understand the importance of the Word. You realize there are other religions out there. And there are other belief systems that have their own books. But none of them place the emphasis that we place upon the Bible. None of them have that importance. There is no other God who has revealed Himself, who has revealed His plans to us through written Word. We have to remember that as we approach Romans 10. It's very important for us to hold on to that understanding. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17 here in just a little bit. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and you want to use that Bible that's in the pew in front of you, that would be on page 946. You will find Romans chapter 10. What we understand, what we know, what we see as fact is that the God of the Bible wants to be known and will be known by His people, not primarily by sight, 
but by sound. They would hear his word, but not see his face. They would know him as the God who speaks. Now, back in chapter 9, we saw the problem that the Jews had in that they missed out on salvation because they believed that salvation was something they could earn. That by keeping certain laws and doing certain things that they would earn God's attention and they would earn salvation. And we saw that the problem that they had is, is very similar to a problem that we would face also when we don't trust Jesus as our Savior and we don't realize that He alone can save us. It's not about what we can do, but it's that He alone can save us. We're, we face the same problem. So what's the solution? Well, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says of the Jews, he says, Brothers... My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. That's his desire. That's what Paul wanted to see happen. Okay, well, how is that going to happen? How are the Jews going to be saved? These people who have set aside the grace of God for works, for the things that they could do to, to make themselves look good and to get God's attention, how are they going to be saved? They're going to be saved the same way you and I are saved. And if you look on down in verse 12 and 13... Paul says, for there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks. There's no difference between them and us. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For, verse 13, pay careful attention, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's God's plan. But... If God is revealing that plan through sound, if God is revealing that plan through his word, how are they going to find that out? How are they going to know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? How will they ever learn that truth? And so he goes on in verse 14, and he asks the same question. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is essential to our relationship with God. You understand that? Right. There is no salvation without faith. And this is not some great mystery that's only reserved for the privileged few. This isn't something that God wants to keep a, a secret. This is good news. Faith is not some strange concept. Faith is not something out there that, that only a few people get. And if you look at verse 17, you cannot miss what verse 17 says. First, verse 17 says, first and foremost, faith comes. There is no denying it. There's no way around it. Faith comes. But how does it come? How do we receive it? And how do we pass it on to others? We pass it on. We receive it through the word of Christ. If we're going to bring faith to our world, if we're going to bring faith to our friends, 
we're going to bring faith to our family, if we're going to bring faith to ourselves, then the Word of God has to be central to who we are and what we do. And what Paul says is that for people to understand that, people to understand faith, they need a preacher. But more to the point, they need people who are focused on God's Word and on God's plan. And that's why the Word of God must be central to our hope. Now, last week we looked at Romans 9. You remember that, those of you who were here. We, we looked at Romans chapter 9, and we saw the danger of belief in God that was not anchored to the truth. And we saw that that can lead us to a couple of different problems, as we explained with some equations. There are those who believe that they have to earn their salvation, that they have to work for it, that they have to get God's attention. And that's contrary to the message of the gospel. That's contrary to, to what God has come, to what Jesus came to do for us in being our Savior. And so that is not good news. Earning your salvation is not good news. And there are others who their problem is that they are disappointed because they believe Jesus to be something that he never promised he would be. And so they think, well, Jesus is my buddy, right? Like Steve's my buddy, so Jesus must be my buddy. Well, Jesus is going to be your friend, but Jesus didn't die to be your friend. Jesus is my good luck charm. Jesus is going to get me out of trouble. Jesus is going to be my, my moral compass, and he is going to tell me how I ought to treat other people. Those are all, some of those are wonderful things. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus died, died to be your Savior. And the problem when we forget that is we are not building our foundation on the truth. Well, how do you know what is true? Verse 14 says, How will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? It would be very easy for me as your preacher, to point to that verse and say, this is why you need me. This is why I am here. This is why you must have a preacher. and You have to have this. You have to have me. This is why I am important. But it's not just about me. It's also about you. It's about all of us. Paul wrote Romans chapter 10 in a day when they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. And if they did have it, well, the majority of people were illiterate anyway, so they couldn't have read it. They couldn't go down to Walmart and buy a Bible. They couldn't steal one from the hotel room that the Gideons had left behind. And so what were they to do? How could they rely? You know, the Bible was still, the New Testament was still being written down. So someone had to relay the message of God's grace. Someone had to relay the message that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Someone had to preach. Now, we still need someone to preach. We still need the Word of God, and it's still central to our hope. Every now and then, I get to talk to someone, and we get to talking about faith. We get to talking about the difficulties that we're going through, and it's so easy in those moments when, when we realize just how difficult life is and the problems that we're having. It's so easy just to go with our feelings, you know? And people will tell you, just go with your gut. That's not always a good idea. Is your gut doesn't always really understand where, where we're going, and it's not a good foundation, and there is no hope in your gut. Our faith, our trust in Jesus. You know, the faith that we have, it's not a matter of, well, I hope this is true. It's kind of like what Paul was saying during communion meditation. 
not about, I, I hope this is true. And it's not even a matter of, well, this is the way I feel it ought to be. It's rock solid. It's written down for us. It is the Word of God. That is our foundation. Our faith, our trust in Jesus is not a matter of thinking this might be right or feeling this or that. It's about I know. It's about I know Him. I know His plan for me. And according to this book, He knows me. Isn't that the kind of thing that gives you hope? You have a God that, that knows you? So the Word of God must be central to our hope. It must form the foundation of what we believe. And when we do that, when we allow it to do that, we also see that the Word of God becomes central to our obedience. Now, this is the part you're not going to like. I'm going to warn you. But I'm going to keep it very short. This part. Anyway. Smile at me. Let me know you're there. Everybody awake? Everybody okay? All right, good. The Word of God must be central to our obedience. No one likes to be told what to do, especially when it comes from some dusty old book. You know, and this book was written thousands of years ago, and people will say to you, do you really believe this stuff? Come on. You don't really believe that? That was written by guys thousands of years ago. They were out of touch with reality and out of touch with modern civilization. A bunch of ignorant men wrote that. My faith tells me that this book is God that it is inspired by the eternal God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this, this dusty old book is not written by a God who is out of touch and you know, who only existed way back then. This book is written by a God who is real and is just as real to me as he was to the guys who actually wrote these words down. A God who is active, a God who is concerned about me. My God is not some dusty old God from 2,000 years ago. He is eternal. He is alive, and he is here now. People don't want to hear what this book has to say. There are people out there that don't want to hear what this book has to say, so instead, they hear what they want to hear. You know, they, they find verses that they can put on bumper stickers, and that makes them happy, you know? Find a verse that you can put on a coffee mug, you know? Everybody loves that one, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We love that verse. That is an awesome verse. Amen. I can get behind a verse like that because it doesn't tell me what to do. <laughs> it doesn't tell me how I ought to live. It doesn't tell me that things that I like are sins. There's a lot of stuff in here that calls for obedience to it. What do we do? We just ignore those parts? We just ignore the parts we don't like and, and go on? Romans chapter 10, verse 16 says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Why haven't they obeyed the gospel? Well, part of the reason is nobody was preaching the gospel to them. No one had told them the good news yet. They never got into the word. They were never given the word, and so they never obeyed it. And you see, because of this reason, we have to make a commitment as a church. And that commitment is that the Word of God must be central to what we do here. The Word of God has to be central to what we do here. So the promise is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me just ask for a show of hands. Do you believe that? Do you believe everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Okay, yeah, it's in the book, so it's all good. 
Everyone? Wait a minute. Wait, wait. Everyone? Everyone who calls on the name? Okay, well, if that's how it works, then how are they going to call if they don't believe? How are they going to call on the name of the Lord if they don't know that, that Jesus is their Savior, that He died to be their Savior? And, and how are they going to know that unless somebody preaches it to them? And how will they know that if they don't see it as a priority in our lives? How will they know it if they don't see it as a priority in our obedience to God? They need to see it in our lives. They need to see it in our conversations. They need to see it in the way we work. But we can't forget that they must see it in what we do here. You know, on any given week, you look through our bulletin. You guys all have them in your hands or in your Bibles, folded up somewhere. You look through our bulletin, you look at the order of service, you look at how many different elements come together. We got some beautiful songs, some wonderful songs that, that are done, you know, picked out. Donna picks those out and Shirley picks them out and we kind of work together so they kind of flow through the sermon and everything kind of makes sense. Uh, and, and it's a beautiful thing and the music is just absolutely beautiful and, you know, it, it, it's so nice. We sing some of the old songs, we sing some of the new songs. I like that we have them both, you know, we, we do a nice blend of those. We have prayer time, you know. There's a lot of churches that are cutting out their prayer time during their service. I feel like we need that here. I feel like people need us to be praying for them. I think that's a very important. So, so, so many people are in need, so we do that. We have communion. You know, we, it wouldn't be the same if we didn't come and take communion. It just wouldn't be right. I think it's essential to what we do. And then there's the sermon. And that's, that's nice, too. Right? It's okay. How will they believe if they never hear? And how will they hear if no one preaches? If faith truly comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, which is what this book tells me, then what we're doing right now is essential. What we're doing right now is as essential as anything else that we do. It is essential to our faith. It is essential to our message, to our obedience. It is essential to why we are here. It's essential to who I am. It's essential to the way that I am faithful to God and I am faithful to His message. I am faithful to you. And this means, this, the means of, of receiving God, the, the means of knowing Him and of being known by Him it resides in the proclamation of his word. It resides in preaching. Every now and then, we get a phone call. And uh, this has been happening a lot more since we got the new building. We get a phone call every now and then. And someone wants to come and, and do something here. They want to come with a, they got a concert. <coughs> or maybe it's a puppet show or, you know, it's a singing group or something. And we want them here. You know, we want to book them and, they hear we got a new building, like, we want to come sing in your building. That's wonderful, that's great. And so we try to work out a time when they can come. And I say, well, when, when can you come? And they, they'll say things like, well, they'll say, well, we got uh, this Sunday morning open. And I say, when else? And they say, well, people really like it when we come on Sunday morning. And I say, I bet they do. Because if they came and did their puppet show on Sunday morning, you know what? We would still sing songs. We'd still pray, and we'd still take communion. What would we cut out? We'd cut out the sermon. And 
please don't hear me tell you saying that I'm in love with the sound of my own voice because I'm not. Or that I think so much of myself that I'm essential. There are a lot of places you can go for singing. I know some places that have karaoke night. It's great. Uh, there are a lot of places you can go for fellowship. There are places you can go and you can commune. But the distinction of the church, the distinction of what we do here is that we bring the message. And it's not that a puppet show or a concert is not inspirational or won't throw a little scripture in here or there. And, I, and that it will, and it's great, and it's beautiful. But something happens when we proclaim the word of God. Something happens in this moment. And my commitment to you is that every Sunday morning, you will get the word. You will get the message. When we do that, what I read in this book is that when we build our lives on the word, when it is central to who we are, when it is central to our hope, when it is central to our obedience, when it is central to what we do, then the Word of God will be central to our victory. I want to take you to another scripture, very important scripture. It's in Isaiah, way back in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11. Again, if you're using those Bibles in front of you, it's page 616. Isaiah 55, 11. You really need to see this. In fact, let me back up just a little bit. We're going to read Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. This is God speaking. And he's comparing his word to the rain and the snow. You guys are familiar with snow. You've seen that before? Okay. Verse 10, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. As some translations put it, as some of you are probably a little bit more familiar with, God is saying there, my word shall not return to me void. It will accomplish the purpose that he sent it for. Remember verse 13 from Romans 10? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right? Remember that part? Right? My word shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish that which I please, that which I have purposed it for. Put simply, it will do something. God's word will have an effect on those who hear it. So if we make it central to our hope, if we make it central to our obedience, if we make it central to what we do here, then what's the promise? It'll work, right? It will do something. Steve and I read a lot of books about church growth. And we read a lot of articles, magazines, and we'll find stuff on the internet. And we'll send it back and forth to each other. Hey, look at this one. This is a great idea. And everybody's got an idea on how to grow a church. Everybody's got a different idea. And every few years, someone comes out with something new, and they tell us what your church needs if your church is going to grow. Some people tell you your church has to have small groups. You've got to have small groups or you can't grow a church. And we go, oh, we better get small groups right now. We better get something going. Some churches say, well, you've got, to have a, you've got to have a good, vibrant youth ministry. Okay, let's do that. Let's get a good, vibrant youth ministry going. book I just recently read said you've got to have a men's ministry. 
or you can't grow. Okay. Other books say you have to have a women's ministry. Okay. Some of them say you have to have drama. Now, every church has drama. <laughs> what they mean is a drama ministry where you come up and you have plays and stuff. And if you have this, your church is going to grow. I wasn't going to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Don't tell anyone else I told you this, okay? Someone told me once that this church will never grow. You know why this church will never grow? Because we don't have a band. And that if we don't have a band, we don't have guys. And don't get me wrong, I love bands. I think it's great. But if we don't have a guy at drums and a couple guys playing. Sorry, Donna, you're out of a job. So we don't have a drum and we don't have a couple guitars and you know other things. The church just isn't going to grow. Where is that in this book? Where is that in this book? This book says, my band will not return to me void. No. What does it say? My word shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. And what I please is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if we're going to build a church, how about we try that? Is that okay with everybody? Can we try that instead? Okay, good. If I had just started out with that, we'd be done with the sermon by now. We'd already be there. And you've got to understand something else. That's not just true about the church. That's not just true about what we do here. That's true for your life as well. It's about what you do. If you stand on the Word of God, you will have victory. If you stand on the Word of God, you will know victory in your life. There are things that we struggle with. There are questions that we have. There are problems that plague us. There are things that keep us up at night. There are worries that we have about the future and about this and that, and and they leave us wondering. Don't miss out on the promise here. Faith comes. In those times when you are so, you feel so faithless, when you feel so lost, when you have no answers, faith comes and faith comes by hearing in the gospel of john in chapter six there's a transition in jesus's ministry see things were starting to change for jesus because people had originally come because well things were exciting things were real exciting at first because they had miracles And people were getting healed and all these amazing things were happening. And so people were coming because that Jesus guy, he put on a pretty good show. And then he fed 5,000 of them with just some bread and fish. And it was incredible. And people were coming because they wanted to see a show. They wanted to see what this Jesus guy could do for him. And then he started calling them to commitment. He started telling them that unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part. And in John chapter 6, the people say, in verse 66, the people say, this is a hard saying. And many, it says in verse 66, many turned back and no longer walked with him because he just wasn't fun anymore. And so he turns to his 12 and he asks the 12 disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Peter's response 
said it all because Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And you see, when you strip it all away, when you take away everything else, whether it's the music, whether it's the fellowship, whether it's the men's night or the ladies' night or even the youth group and all the other things that we love and we cherish and we work so hard for, when you take it all away and when you take away all the excitement, what remains had better be foundational. What remains had better be eternal. What remains had better provide life. You had better know that in that moment when everything else is gone, that faith comes. And so it comes back to what is foundational to your life. Some people think the feelings are foundational because the music is nice and it's pretty and the fellowship here is warm and we come away with a, with a great feeling. But there are going to be days when those feelings aren't there. There are going to be days when those things are all gone. What is it that you're going to stand on in that moment? What will you hold on to? Faith comes by hearing. When we say those words, Lord, I need you. When we truly do that. I hope it's not just because we need another shot in the arm. We need to feel good about ourselves. I hope it's because we realize that when we say, Lord, I need you, we have nothing else that we can rely on. No one else that has the words of eternal life.